0: goldilocks and the three dinosaurs here we go once upon a time there were three dinosaurs papa dinosaur mama dinosaur and some other dinosaur who happened to be visiting from norway (laughs) one day for no particular reason the three dinosaurs made up their beds positioned their chairs just so and cooked three bowls of delicious chocolate pudding at varying temperatures Oh, boy, said Papa Dinosaur in his loud, booming voice. It is finally time to leave and go to the uh, someplace else. Yes, continued Mama Dinosaur. I sure hope no, no innocent little succulent child happens by our unlocked home while we are uh someplace else. Then the other dinosaur made a loud noise that sounded like a big, evil laugh but was probably just a polite Norwegian expression. <laughs> the three dinosaurs went someplace else and were definitely not hiding in the woods waiting for an unsuspecting kid to come by. And sure enough, five minutes later, a poorly supervised little girl named Goldilocks came traipsing along. Just then, the forest boomed with what could have been a dinosaur yelling, gotcha. I'm pretty sure it was just the wind, though. The loud noise was immediately followed by another loud noise that sounded kind of like, Be patient, Papa Dinosaur, the trap is not yet sprung. But that could have been a rock falling or a squirrel. Either way, Goldilocks was not the type of little girl who listened to anyone or anything. For example, Goldilocks never listened to warnings about the dangers of barging into strange, enormous houses. So as soon as Goldilocks came across a strange, enormous house, she barged right in. Inside, Goldilocks immediately smelled the three bowls of delicious chocolate pudding. Mmm, said Goldilocks. That chocolate pudding smells delicious. If I could only get all the way up to the top of the counter... Then Goldilocks noticed a very tall ladder that just happened to be there and certainly wasn't left there on purpose. (laughs) Goldilocks climbed up the ladder and found herself face to face with three gigantic bowls of chocolate pudding. The first bowl of chocolate pudding was too hot, but Goldilocks ate it all anyways because, hey, it's chocolate pudding, right? The second bowl of chocolate pudding was too cold, but who cares about temperature when you've got a big bowl of chocolate pudding? Not her. The third bowl of chocolate pudding was just right, but Goldilocks was on such a roll by now, she hardly noticed. Soon, Goldilocks was stuffed like one of those delicious chocolate-filled little girl bonbons which, by the way, are not totally the favorite thing in the whole world for hungry dinosaurs. This is a children's book. <laughs> Tired and groggy, Goldilocks noticed three chairs in the living room. So she climbed down the ladder and walked out of the kitchen. The first chair was too tall. The second chair was too tall. But the third chair was too tall. Goldilocks wasn't going to climb that high just to sit in some chair, so she hiked over to the bedroom. When she got there, Goldilocks noticed that the beds were gigantically big. What is going on around here, groaned the exhausted girl. The bears that live here must be nuts. Just then, the room filled with a loud, booming noise that was either a passing truck or a dinosaur gloating. A few more minutes and she'll be asleep. Delicious, chocolate-filled little girl bonbons are yummier when they're rested. Even a little girl who never listens to anyone or anything had to hear that. Goldilocks took a minute to stop and think which was longer than she was used to stopping and thinking. (laughs) Hey, she told herself, this isn't some bear's house. This is a dinosaur's house. Say what you like about Goldilocks, but she was no fool. As quickly as she could, she ran to the back door and got out of there. Just then, a loud plane flew by, which sounded pretty much like a trio of dinosaurs yelling, Now, or charge, or the Norwegian expression for chewy bonbon time. (laughs) Suddenly and completely coincidentally, the three dinosaurs rushed through the front door. But they were too late. Goldilocks was gone. And all that was left in the house were three disappointed dinosaurs. And here's the moral of the story. The moral of the story is, if you ever find yourself in the wrong story, leave. <laughs> All right? Makes total sense, doesn't it? All right, so here's the question I got for you. Why, why do you think, raise your hand if you want to answer this question. Why do you think Goldilocks ignored the warnings? Why, why, do, why do you think that she ignored the warnings? Because um, she this did like think it was going to be dinosaurs because her normal story was the base. Okay, so she thought things were going to be like normal. Right? Somebody else? Did you have an... Let me ask you. Why did she ignore the warnings? Um, because um, she was too scared. She was too scared. Okay. Hey, buddy. <laughs> How about you? Because she never listens, and she doesn't like to listen to anyone. So she didn't listen very well. That's a good reason why. Somebody else over here had her hand up. Then I got another question for you. Why didn't she listen to the warnings? She didn't listen because she thought it was um, the bear's house instead of the dinosaur's house, and she thought they were someplace else instead of hiding in the woods. So she thought she was someplace else. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, what kind of warnings... Do your parents give you? Let's go on this side over here. What kind of warnings your parents give? I forgot. You forgot, okay. <laughs> it's all right. Ha- happened to Goldilocks, too. She well, thought it was real treats. Okay, now ha- somebody can tell me what kind of warnings. I'm coming to you, buddy. What kind of warnings your parents give you? Don't go on the coffee table. Don't go on the coffee table. Every parent says that, I'm sure. How about you? Don't touch that. (laughs) Don't touch that. How about you? My mom says that I can't get candy without asking. Don't get candy without asking. Okay, that's a good warning. Don't jump on the couch. Don't jump on the couch. Clean up your room. Clean up your room. That's a warning. Okay. <laughs> How about you, buddy? Jump on you. Don't jump on your bed. Don't jump on your bed. How about you? Uh, I forgot. You forgot. It happens. It happens. How about? You? Can you lean in over here? What What warning did your parents give you? I don't know. You don't know. That's okay. That's okay. Okay. Let's get. Let's get a, a, two more. What kind of warning? Don't go in other people's house with, without permission. Don't go in people's houses without permission. That's very, very wise parents you have. How about you? Do your homework. Do your homework. Okay, kids, great job. Thanks for listening to the story and for answering the questions. You guys can go back to your seats. What? have Oh, next time. Next time. And parents, you may need to stand up because sometimes kids forget where they came from. Uh, so if you see a child wandering, um, help them find their way. Great. Well, um, here's the deal. Um, you know, oftentimes we 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 get warnings and we don't listen to them very well. You know, one of the very practical warnings we get is when you're driving on the freeway. Have you ever been in the freeway when you're on that far right-hand side or far left-hand side and uh, you start to veer a little bit, uh, maybe it's due to inattention, and maybe you're one of those folks who texts while they drive, you're not supposed to, or you're just fatigued, a little tired... And you hit that area of the road uh, it has got those, those grooved out sort of uh, uh, that side, they're, they're called rumble strips. When you go over them, they're called rumble strips because your whole car begins to vibrate and shake. Um, they're put there to, to give you a warning that you're starting to drift, that you're starting to go off course. And the rumble strips are like this warning that uh, kind of like electricity that just sort of conducts its way through uh, something like, like metal. Um, the vibrations of the rumble strips go through the rubber of the tire and through the frame of the car and into the, the stream where you can feel the vibration in your hand. And it's it's to be a warning to you that uh, that you know you might be in an accident. There might be something uh, that, that you, you need to change your course. And in fact, you, yourself, you don't even have to be going over the rumble strips. It might be somebody else. Like, have you ever heard an 18-wheeler hit the rumble strips, uh, either in front of you or behind you, and it sort of, it jolts you awake, um, and, and you'll see a car swerve, you see that 18-wheeler get back on the freeway. Uh, those, those rumble strips are warnings on the side of the road to say, you're going off course, you need to get back on the road, and because of them, uh, many many accidents do not happen. Many, many accident, car accidents do not happen because of those rumble strips. I was traveling overseas one time. I can't remember what country it was in. They did not have rumble strips. Uh, the equivalent of their rumble strips were these mangled cars. They just left them by the side of the road to say, this could happen to you um, as, as a warning. I, I kind of prefer the rumble strips. Um, but the, the, it's, it's a warning system to help you and I stay on the path and avoid being in an accident. And here's the deal we were reading this book of the kids, talking about Goldilocks and the three dinosaurs and all the warnings that uh, she should have uh, paid attention to, things that she should have seen but didn't and, uh, and ignored them. And you and I do the same. And, but we have this warning system that God has put into us. It's called a conscience. We, we have a conscience. We have this, this inner voice that speaks to us and, and tells us, you're, you're hitting the rumble strips. You're, you're, you're starting to get off course, and, and you need to have a course correction. Get back on, get back on the road. Um, and our conscience judges us. It, it, it tells us to, to, to straighten out our, our journey. You, you may be heading to, to toward this direction and, and beginning to live a different narrative than the story, the narrative that God has called you to live. And so this this gift of a conscience is given to us now. Kids, uh, I, I, you may know this this uh, this character up here is from a Disney movie. Um, I'm going to put uh, there he is. Yeah, Pinocchio. Okay, one of the kids recognize him already. Pinocchio. He's a he's a wooden puppet, right? Right, kids, and he's and he's growing up and he wants to be a real boy, um, but because he's not a real boy yet, he d- he doesn't have a conscience. So if you remember in the movie or in the story, uh, the the fairy comes and gives to Pinocchio a friend. And what's his friend's name? Jiminy Cricket. Great. Good job, kids. Here's Jiminy Cricket. And he is Pinocchio's conscience. That's what we're talking about. All right? Jiminy Cricket is that voice in Pinocchio's ear to tell him, now, don't don't say that. Don't lie. Because what happens when Pinocchio lies? His nose grows. Right? So Jiminy Cricket is his conscience. It's his voice. Now, here's the deal. You do not have to be a Christ follower to have a conscience. Everyone is born with a conscience. I mean, think about that. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing that God has, has put this, he's coded us in a way. He's put this code, his DNA in us in a sense that right from the very beginning, we, we have this, this voice we have this inner knowing, or sometimes it's referred to as a co-knowing, of what is right or wrong. It's a basic understanding of, you know, don't steal, don't lie, um, don't hurt somebody. That we, we know that early on, and our conscience will guide us in that. Now, Oswald Chambers uh, helps, helps define why people have different uh, consciences. Uh, he, he says this, Conscience is that ability within me that attaches itself To the highest standard I know, and then continually reminds me of what that standard demands that I do. It is the eye of the soul, which looks out either toward God or or toward what we regard as the highest standard. This explains why conscience is different in different people. See, when you become a Christ follower, your highest standard then becomes God. And you want to do what he tells you to do. You want to live under his rule, in his kingdom. Which is why we are a people who come under the word of God. We don't, we don't speak our opinion into the word of God. We literally, we, we hold the scriptures up and we, we esteem the scriptures. And we come under the scriptures and align our lives with what God says about us. And so our conscience then is guided by who God is. And when we become a Christ follower, we're given the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 tells us that the Spirit guides us into all truth. He's the inner voice that begins speaking to us and convicting us and guiding us. And by the way, when we do violate our conscience, we feel something. We do feel conviction. We feel guilt. And in our modern uh, culture, our modern society... Uh, guilt is oftentimes viewed as medieval or obsolete or counterproductive. And it's, it's, it's so untrue. Uh, guilt is not some medieval concept. It's a, it's, it's a gift from God. Now, I'm not I'm talk, talking about false guilt. I'm not tra- talking about expectations someone puts on you their false expectations and, and you experiencing false guilt. I'm, t- I'm talking about true guilt when we know we've, we've gone over the rumble strips. That the, the internal rumble strips of our heart have gone off and said, hey, uh, you've you, you gone off road here. And we, we will feel conviction. We feel guilt. And it's, it's, it's a call to a course correction to get back on the straight and narrow path. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to uh, show you just three ways, that uh, three, three functions of your conscience, or three characteristics rather, of what your conscience could be like. and uh, and talk to you about that. So here's the first characteristic you need to know about your conscience. You can have a clean, clear conscience. Someone once said there's no softer pillow than that of a clear, clean conscience, meaning that when your conscience is clean, you sleep very well at night. There's no softer pillow than that of a clean, clear conscience, and actually, you find that concept in the scriptures. Here's one from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, My conscience is clear, but that isn't what matters. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. What Paul is saying here is, to the best of my ability, my conscience is clean. It's clear. But I'm human, and I even sin ignorantly at times. There's things that I do that I don't even even recognize are wrong. God is the ultimate judge, but my conscience also judges me, and I can have a clear, clean conscience. But here's here's the, the fact, is that while a conscience can be clear and clean, it is extremely hard to keep it clear and clean. This morning, when the fruit snacks were coming out, I told you, please just take one. And there was something in you, perhaps a few you went, I want two. And the basket came down your aisle, and you did not take one. You took two. And your conscience is no longer clean. <laughs> True story. Last service, at the end of the service, a woman walked up to me and gave me her second fruit <laughs> snack she took. True story. I can't live with myself. I took it for my granddaughter. Keep it. Take more. i was just making a point. The point is this, it's so easy, it's so very easy to take a clear, clean conscience and have it become corrupted or defiled or what the scriptures also call as being polluted. Look at this verse from Titus chapter 1 verse 15. Paul again writing, he's writing to a co-worker, he says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are polluted. Your conscience can be completely clear and clean, as far as you know. God is the ultimate judge, but it's clear or clean. Or you could have gone off-road a little bit. You may have driven over the rumble strips. The warning went off. The voice was talking to you, and you ignored it, and you got to a place where you're making some decisions where you know that you're violating what you know is true and pure, and now your conscience has become polluted. And, And here's where things get a little bit tricky for us. We we know we go there and we know that we can have a clean conscience, especially in Christ who who, who offers forgiveness, but especially in, in relational settings, it's so hard for us to admit that our conscience has been polluted. There's this thing called pride that rises up in us that begins to rationalize, that begins to explain, well, this is why I took two fruit snacks. This is... This is why I mean I I this is why I, I I said it that way. This is why I I responded like that. We we rationalize. It's this thing called pride that comes up in us that wants to really refuses to admit that we've ignored our conscience and our conscience has become polluted. I, I have a two and a half year old granddaughter. Her name is Finley. Uh, Finley is, I um, mean, you know, she's talking, she's running around, she's enjoying life, and Trina and I were watching Finn uh, not long ago. She was in the living room, and I walked in the living room, uh, and I, I, I took one breath, and I immediately caught the whiff of the aroma of a poopy diaper, all right? Poopy diaper, and, uh, and there's Finn playing, and so I walk over to her, and I say, Finn, do you have a poopy diaper? And what does she say? No. Inferring, you must be the one with a poopy diaper, Grandpa. <laughs> not me. I'm clean. I have no problem here. And uh, should I say, are you sure you don't have a poopy diaper? Nope, no poopy diaper. Can I check? Nope. She backs up to the wall. You know, <laughs> You're not checking. See, it's just really it's really amazing that here's a kid who's sitting in a poopy diaper and grandpa comes and is willing to give her a clean diaper. And all she has to say is, yeah, yeah, I do have a poopy diaper. And, uh, um, and, and it'll be clean. But pride says, nope, didn't do that in my pants. <laughs> and how many of us, how many of us, when we're either confronted by the voice, our conscience, or we're perhaps in conversation with somebody and we talk to them, and they ask us a question, and our our initial response is nope, not. Nah. And then what ha- ends up happening is there's more pollution, and we're covering up a cover up, and we're covering up a cover up that was covering a cover up. And it becomes polluted. And actually, can lead you to the third characteristic. You start with the clear, clean one, and then you can then you, you can have a polluted conscience. First Timothy chapter four, verses one through two. Paul uh, says this. It's a pretty scary verse. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are seared. Seared, meaning there's this burning into the. It's, it's, a, it's a word picture he's given us here. It's a picture of, of flesh that has nerve endings on it. So where you feel, you're very sensitive, but then you, you put something hot and you sear it, you, you burn it, and the nerve endings uh, on, on the top of the skin end up dying, and they no longer feel. So you, you, you had a clean, clear conscience, and it got polluted, and it just got more polluted, and you never dealt with it, and because pride just kept, kept living there, and eventually left to where now, you no longer feel the vibrations when you go over the rumble strips. You don't feel it anymore. Because now your conscience is seared. Now you're convinced that you know what the highest standard is. Now you are certain that your opinion, human reasoning, and logic rules the day. And you become your own king. You become your own judge. Your conscience has been seared. And I'm going to tell you, when someone's conscience is seared, they are fully convinced. They have no idea... And they'll look at you and say, you know, don't give me your guilt and your conviction. That's all, that's all medieval and obsolete. And, and, and conscience is seared. And we can get to that point. We have a clear, clean conscience. We get it polluted. We start entertaining thoughts. We start going off-road. We ignore the warnings. And we land this place where our conscience then, then is seared. Now, the reality is, is, because the question is obviously this, you know, well, then how, if my conscience is seared or maybe it's, it's polluted, how can I, is it possible to make it clean again? And the answer in and of itself, by you alone, no, you cannot, you cannot make your conscience clean again on your own. It's not possible. But the beauty of the gift that is ours in Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ can give you a clean, purged conscience. He can make you clean again. Hebrews chapter 10 uh, tells us this. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9 uh, verse 14 tells us that when we gave our life to Christ, our conscience was purged, meaning it was completely wiped of every stain. And if you remember, especially if you came to Christ as an adult, when you first started walking with Christ, you had this sudden sensitivity to what what was right and wrong. Your conscience was completely cleared and and clean. And now, through this one spiritual discipline, you can continue to make it and keep it clear and clean and to keep your pillow soft at night. Because there's no... No softer pill than that of a clean conscience. It's the spiritual discipline of confession. It's simply confessing. It's letting go of pride and in humility saying, you know what? This is the straight and narrow path. I drove over rumble strips on either side, whichever way I went. And I need, I, in humility, I need to say, I, I was wrong, God. Or you might need to go to somebody and say, I was wrong when I, when I said that to you. I need, I need to confess Confession is a spiritual discipline that gets us back onto the narrow path. But it's a a spiritual discipline employed by those who are humble enough to be disciplined in that way. And frankly, here's something we need to pay attention to. I think for, for some of us, it's so easy for us to go to God and confess. It's so hard for us to go to each other and confess. What does that tell us about where our fear lies? Do we not fear God? But fear man more than God? I mean, think about that. Yet God is a God who says, Come. Wow, wow, we should have we should live with this spirit of the fear of the Lord. Not in being afraid of Him, but in wanting to please Him. We should know that he's a God who, who wants us to come to him and confess. And we should be a, a humble people where we hear each other's confession. James Wright says you know, that, that when we confess our sins one to another, we, we experience healing. It's a very hard thing for us to do because pride often gets in the way. Confession is so very good for us. When my kids were much younger, living at home, um, one of my strategies in parenting, I'm not gonna say it was a superb strategy, I was fairly pragmatic about it. Uh, but when the school would call and say, uh, one of my kids misbehave in a class, or you know, say my son Chase you know, messed up in gym class and you know, threw a ball at someone's head or something like that, and I got a call from the teacher, um, the, the kids would come home and Trina and I would just wait and see if Chase would tell us if he chucked a ball at some kid's head. And we'd wait. And, and, uh, and oftentimes he wouldn't say anything. Um, and then when we were tucking him in bed at night, like we talked to all our kids, you know, we, we, we talked about giving them a hug, a kiss, and a pray, and praying for them, and I would walk into Chase's room and um, pray for him, and then I'd, I'd ask him, uh, hey, is there anything you need to tell me about today at, at school? Um, and just you know, sort of watch his face, because you, you're watching the kid, you know, all right, you know what happened, and you're just, what you're watching is this voice, Inside, it's saying, do I tell him or do I not tell him? Do I humble myself to say, yeah, I messed up? And I'll say, most times our kids would, would say, yeah, I messed up. And they were, our kids weren't perfect. There are times they, they tried to hide. Just like Adam and Eve tried to hide, right, in the garden? They want to hide. as what we do when we, when we, when we sin." And, um, and, and that was just something we do with our kids just to help them understand the importance of a clean conscience and I will confess this there were times our kids came home from school and I never got a, a, a call from the teacher and I would say to them anything you need to tell me about today? Anything happened at school that, uh, that I need to know? And uh, many times our kids would go yeah there's this one thing that happened at lunch and, uh, and they, they'd tell me and you know I was just fishing I, I did nothing I did know nothing about it <laughs> And I, I told I told my kids this later when they when they grew up and left the house. And my one of my daughters said, "Dad, you're evil." Uh, but what 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 it is? They had a sensitive conscience, and I was just, "Is there anything you need to tell me?" And here's why I'm asking the question. I'm not asking the question because I'm some angry dad that when if I hear you messed up, I'm going to come over. I'm just going to let you have it. No, I want my kids to have the gift of a clean conscience. Now, if as an earthly father, that's what I'm doing, what do you think your heavenly father is doing? When you spend time with him and you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, Hey, what about when you drove over the rumble strips? What about when you ignored the warning? What about now you're living this story over here, and here's the story I want you to live in? Do you think God as we come to him is going to be some like some angry dad? No, he already knows. And he wants to give you the gift. Of a clean conscience. And you can have that gift because Jesus Christ went to the cross and made forgiveness possible. He went to the cross so that burden, that weight could be lifted. Let me just wrap up asking a couple of questions. First question is this Today, Salem, Oregon, Sam Alliance Church, you're here this morning on a Sunday morning. Is your conscience clean? Is, there, is your conscience clean? How soft is your pillow? Is there conversations you need to have? Is there a conversation you need to have with your heavenly father so you can be at peace with him? Are there conversations that you need to have with family members, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles or coworkers? Is there peace that needs to be made there? Is your conscience clean? Did you take two fruit snacks See, it, it's, it can be real little things. <laughs> be very little things that end up just troubling us. We want to hide it. Here's the second thing I want to ask you. Second, second thing is this. When someone comes to you and confesses their sin to you, are you someone that possesses a forgiving spirit? Are, are you someone that, that recognizes in, in humility that you, you, you sin as well? Can you forgive as Christ forgave? Are you someone that, that um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, immediately, depending on the severity of the wrong, sometimes there need to be significant boundaries, and need to be clear guidelines. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the, the little things that come up in our life when someone says, hey, I blew it, I shouldn't have said it this way. Do I possess a forgiving spirit? Do people run to me or do they run away from me? I think it's an important question for us to answer because we need to be people who forgive as Christ forgave. We need people who sleep well with clean consciences because Jesus Christ went to the cross to give us that gift. And may we be a people who stay on the straight and narrow.